When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby and joining me via the phone is Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing well and we have a packed show today. We're going to get to our first impressions from OTAs. We're going to get into Duke Johnson's contract status, Johnny Manziel's advice for Baker Mayfield, and at the end, stick around, we'll give you our favorite NFL road trip destinations. But first, Mary Kay, let's go ahead and get to the big story. And that big story is OTAs. We finally got to watch the full team practice. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about this. Um, first time since rookie minicamp, we got to see practice. And the first time that we got to see the likes of Baker Mayfield and Tyrod Taylor together, some veterans. This is the first time we got to see a guy like Jarvis Landry on the field. Um, but what kind of stood out to you uh, yesterday? Well, first of all, it was just fun to see all the new guys out there. There was so much to look at. It was like, okay, where do I look? You wanted to watch the quarterbacks, but then, you know, you wanted to see the receivers, the defense, and uh, there were so many guys out there that you just almost didn't know where to put your attention at times. But I thought Tyrod looked really good. Uh, I thought he was very fun to watch. He just looks, you know, he looks polished. He looks to me like he's already getting a good handle on Todd Haley's new offense. I mean, it's new to everybody, so uh, you have to consider that there's a lot of thinking going on out there, but I thought Tyrod looked pretty sharp in it. Um, and then, of course, Baker Mayfield, he had a little bit of a rocky day, but some of the some of the inter- interceptions, which I wrote about yesterday, these were after connections, so you really can't blame them all on him. I know you wouldn't, Dan, so, uh, <laughs> so I, will, uh, I won't either. Uh, but he did have one over the middle that was, you know, just one of those bad rookie throws. But for the most part, I thought it was it was great to get everybody all out there and see them all in action for the first time. I, I'm like becoming the Baker Mayfield apologist here on on our podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a really bad one. Obviously, I think it was I think it was the one to James Burgess um, that was really yeah. bad yeah. over the middle. Um, there was another one that was tipped. Uh, you know, what I liked about it though, is he bounced back and made a couple of nice throws after he, he threw a nice, a nice pass to David Njoku that Njoku took into the end zone. Um, another nice pass over the middle to, um, to Evan Barry. Uh, he dropped it. Uh, but that, that was a good throw. It was a little risky too, but, but it was a throw that got to the receiver and the receiver should have made the catch. So, you know, a mixed bag from Baker, but let's talk about Tyrod Taylor because 
he's supposed to be the starting quarterback, and he, he looked the part in a lot of ways yesterday. He really did. And, you know, I think when I watched practice, it looked to me as though Hugh Jackson has it, has it set up just the way it should be right now, with Tyrod Taylor being the starter and with Drew Stanton coming in second to take his reps and then Baker Mayfield uh, coming behind them, uh, number th- three on the depth chart. Now, when you looked out there at times last year, the way that it was set up, it didn't always look right, you know? I mean, it didn't necessarily look like Cody Kessler should be number one on the depth chart when he was for quite a while at the beginning there. But this way, it looks like it makes sense to me. Tyrod is showing that he has experience. He's got a 22 and 20 record. He took the bill to the playoffs last year. He's made a Pro Bowl. And it, it just seems that you can tell that he is so far ahead of Baker Mayfield right now. Yeah, and, you know, we we talk about last year, and and I don't know that anybody – ever really bought including Hugh Jackson anybody really ever bought that like Cody Kessler was actually going to be the starting quarterback on opening day so I guess in kind of that action speak louder than words world you know yesterday it really did feel like Tyrod Taylor is the starting quarterback like we're not just being told that that actually seems to be the case yes it's way more than just lip service this year for sure I think we all knew last year that it was only a matter of time really before Deshaun Kaiser was going to step up and take over the reins. I don't think any of us really also believed that Brock Osweiler was going to be the guy, even though they, you know, flirted or floated that out there for a little bit. Uh, Like you said, this is reality that Tyrod Taylor is destined to be the starter on opening day, unless for some unforeseen reason, he falls flat on his face and Baker Mayfield looks far and away better than him in training camp. But right now I don't foresee that happening. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't think Tyrod Taylor will fall flat on his face. I mean, the guy doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, we, we know that from his three years in Buffalo. He knows how to run an offense. He can make some plays. I, I think that you know, this is a guy that's going to be able to go into preseason games and show you in a few series why he's the starter. He's going to show you in training camp why he's the starter. Um, that This is just a really good setup here. Finally, at quarterback for this team, there's a clear plan going forward and a clear way to execute it. And, you know, sometimes for a quarterback, the best thing about him is what he has around him. And if you look at the guys that he's got to throw the football to and the running game that he's got this year and the offensive line, I think it actually can be a pretty good offense, especially with Todd Haley running the show. Uh, I think he's really going to pull these guys together and snap everything into focus. And, uh, uh, you know, when you look out there and you see Josh Gordon, a pro bowler, Jarvis Landry, a three-time pro bowler, Corey Coleman, a first-round pick, who they hope steps up and lives up to that number 15 overall pick. You've got Antonio Callaway, who showed some things yesterday. You've got Duke Johnson, David Njoku, and then, of course, uh, you're looking at Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb, and those guys are running the ball really, really hard. Uh, you know, I, I like what I see out there for this offense. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll talk about the receivers, but you did bring up the running backs, and, and I want to say this one of the things that stood out to me yesterday you know it's hard to kind of tell running backs a little bit in these settings where there's no contact but uh, just watching the running backs go through drills Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb are big guys I mean they are big and powerful and you can just kind of tell the types of runners they are and Duke Johnson you know is a different kind built differently obviously they're going to use him differently uh, but but there's some real potential in that trio. There really is. I mean, those guys, like you said, they're they're big, 
they're powerful, they're agile, they're fast, and wow. I mean, I think that that running game that we've been waiting to show up year after year after year, I think you're going to see it this year. I don't think there's uh, going to be just lip service to that either this year. You know Todd Haley will run the ball, uh, and that will also take a little bit of pressure off Tyrod Taylor. I I just think it, it looks to me like a pretty complete offense. It, it should be. They, they've got the pieces and, of course, the receivers. That was great to kind of get a first look at them. Jarvis Landry, um, you know, looked to the part, uh, the guy that can catch the football no matter where it is. He'll, he'll go get it. Um, Josh Gordon, I thought Gordon was pretty quiet yesterday, and I think that's okay. I, I thought Coleman, pretty quiet yesterday. I think that's okay. I think those two guys kind of just showing up and practicing and then – Moving on, I mean, that's good news. We, we didn't show up yesterday with this buzz about Josh Gordon. It was just a normal day of practice for him. And, and at this point, that's a very good thing. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, like you said, we will be talking a little bit more about the receivers. But uh, when you say Josh Gordon was quiet, well, Jarvis Landry was anything but because he True. told us uh, that he considers himself to be the best receiver in the NFL. So. So you've got a guy that feels that way about himself, and then another guy who led the NFL with 1,646 yards uh, not too, too long ago in 2013. Uh, So there is some talent on this offense. And, you know, when you look back to last year, you know, Josh Gordon wasn't here at this time of year. Jarvis Landry wasn't here. Hyde, Chubb, Callaway. It's, It's a completely different offense. So, you know, people want to chuckle and laugh about, you know, same old Cleveland Browns and nothing's ever going to be different. Well, it is different. It's definitely different. You even wrote about that today uh, in in your slideshow about practice. It does have a different feel and a different vibe to it. And and I don't think that uh, people are going to be laughing at this offense this year. Well, and and you know what? Something somebody said to me um, while we were standing there watching practice was, guess guess what you weren't seeing? You weren't seeing the ball on the ground over and over and over again. You know, you, you saw like a real practice. You saw an offense being run. You saw a defense that was making plays or, or trying to make plays in the case of Jabril Peppers and his dropped interception against Baker Mayfield. You didn't see a lot of slop and you didn't watch that practice and think, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long year. That's a bad feeling to have in spring. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think a lot of that, like you said, has to do with the fact that Ty, Tyrod Taylor looks sharp. Now, in the offseason, he got guys together. So they weren't just working out in, you know, the offseason program. They've been together in Florida or wherever they were working out. And we've seen some of the hype videos and stuff like that. So they already have some timing down. They already they got a head start on it. And I think that's a great veteran move. That shows really good veteran leadership for him to do that. And it's showing up on the field. He looks like he knows what he's doing already. Okay, let's dig into this big story a little more. We're going to do three questions about it now, three specific questions. Uh, We did some general talk. So now, uh, first question here. We talked about the quarterback, so let's leave them out of this. And we can certainly circle back on some of the players we've already talked about if we need to. First question, which player are you most interested in watching throughout the remainder of this spring, Mary Kay? Wow, that's a good question. Well, so we're leaving the we're leaving the quarterbacks out of it, right? Yeah, and we're going to take the quarterbacks out. Okay, so I would have to say the first name that jumps out to me when you said that was Anto- Antonio Callaway. Ooh, good one. Because 
yeah, if he can, I saw him make some good catches yesterday, including one really good sideline rolling catch. Uh, if he can really step it up and shake off the rust because he sat out of football last year and be the receiver that, that they think that he can be and that he believes he can be, they could be really onto something here. Now, he's got to stay on the straight and narrow, but if he can do that and work really, really hard and be coached up by Adam Henry and, and the coaches that are here, uh, they could really be onto a good receiver here. Yeah, and I'll say from, from rookie minicamp to what I saw him do in rookie minicamp to now, I, I was really impressed with, with what I saw yesterday when I, when I saw him. Um, some of it was, you know, running routes against air, admittedly, but um, I, I thought he did some nice things yesterday. Um, the guy I'm going to watch, actually, I'm going to be honest, it's a guy I wrote about today, Jabril Peppers. I'm, I'm just really curious to see how they use him. And, and we might not see a lot of that in the spring, but I do – you know, I'd like to see him make a few plays this spring when they go to 11 on 11. I'd like to see him stand out a, a little bit. So, so that's a guy that I'm going to keep an eye on because he's supposed to have a bigger role this year. He's supposed to have an opportunity to be more aggressive. I, I want to see him take advantage of that. Well, I think the thing about Jabril is that uh, he's a big hitter and he likes to hit. And you need an enforcer like that in the secondary. And I think that this is going to give him an opportunity uh, to really pack a wallop and make an impact in the way that, you know, they need some of that on this defense. You need to hear the pads crunching a little bit, obviously in a legal and healthy way, but, um, but you need somebody uh, that's going to come up and really be aggressive in the run game. Uh, and, and you're going to hear the pop. And I, I think that that's what you're going to get from Jabril this year. And that's what he wasn't really able to do enough of last year when he had to play that angel position. Yeah, and you know he took some bad angles. You know, he a lot of it was of his own doing as well. But and he admitted that last year. That's one thing about Jabril that's always impressed me. He's very honest and straightforward, and he's not afraid to take blame for things. Um, and he and he talked about it yesterday. There were things that he needed to get better at, and he still could have made plays last year and didn't. Um, but yeah, they, big hitters. Denzel Ward is going to be a big hitter. Um, there, there's some guys in that secondary that can hit people. Yeah, and and like you were talking about with. Jabril, he's a really smart guy. He's a really, really smart guy. And I think this is the year that when he's playing in his more natural spot at strong safety, that he will also be able to step up as a leader on the field. Even though he's young, maybe sometimes uh, you might think that he's too young uh, to be telling others what to do. But I think he's got that kind of football acumen and that field vision to be able to direct traffic a little bit back there. And I think that you'll see that a lot of that from him this year. Okay, second question here, um, and, and I'll go first here, give you a chance to, to think about this one. Uh, the question is, what is the biggest challenge facing the Browns this spring? And I'm going to go with, with just sort of learning this offense. Here they are again. You know, They've had two years under Hugh Jackson's offense. Not all of these guys. The quarterbacks are new. Some of the receivers are new. Um, running backs. Okay, there's a lot of new guys. Uh, but that's the challenge, I think, learning Todd Haley's offense and, and getting as up to speed as possible before training camp. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I would say that that is the number one uh, challenge facing the team is uh, to learn all that terminology and, uh, and to try to pull that together and have it look like a well-oiled machine by the time uh, the season starts. So that is number one. Um, but since, uh, since you stole that one, Dan, and went first, uh, <laughs> I would say 
that one of the biggest challenges that they will have this spring is striking the balance between getting Baker Mayfield ready, just the whole quarterback thing, just getting him ready, letting him be who he is, which is an incredibly competitive young man, very fiery personality, uh, and having him be, you know, third and then maybe second on the depth chart. I think that's going to be an incredible challenge. And of course, they're going to be doing it in front of the hard knocks cameras. So, um, so I think it, you know, throughout training camp. So I think that will be uh, a very difficult thing because they've got to get Baker Mayfield the reps that he needs. But by the same token, they're trying to say to him, look, you're not going to be our starting quarterback. And, you know, we can't have you working with the first team offense right now, but who knows? He might be starting games by mid season. So, so there, you know, that to me is another big challenge. Okay, our last question of the three here, and um, listen, I'll admit, I'm, I'm guilty of this. It's really easy this time of year to just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, you know, it's just practice. They're, they're throwing against air, they're running against air, they're playing against teammates. It's real easy to get caught up in that. Like I said, I'm guilty of it all the time. But what can we really learn here from OTAs? You know, especially for us, we get to watch two more OTA practices, and then after that, the, the mandatory minicamp. What, what are the things we can really learn from watching these things? Well, it's difficult to learn weight, you know, too, too much because at this time of year and throughout all of training camp, it's full of gold in many ways. What you're seeing doesn't always necessarily hold up when you get out onto the football field in a real game. And, you know, you don't know a lot of these players yet. I don't know a lot of these players yet. And we're going on what we see, which is we're seeing speed. We're seeing some size. We're seeing uh, some good hands and things like that. And we know that guys like Jarvis Landry, you know, they're proven commodities. But just in terms of how it's all going to come together and whether or not they're going to be, you know, playing winning football to the point where they can actually make some noise in the AFC North, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell until they get out there and they start playing real football games. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I'm always careful to not get too caught up in, you know, hyping guys up too much. It's funny because, you know, we're back in this state where we're, we're tweeting out practice videos and, you know, people quote tweet and, and reply and retweet and say, you know, oh, this guy's going to be a stud or the Browns got a steal here. The reality is we don't know. I mean, there, there's plenty of guys that have had training camp highlights tweeted out and then they don't turn into anything. So it can be fool's gold, like you said, but you know, I just think, I think you can get a sense of how guys feel a little bit. Uh, you know, if, if guys are optimistic, if there's an energy, if they're, you know, when we get to talk to guys, you know, if they sound a little bit, a little bit different, how guys look, I think it's kind of more stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, they know too, because I was asking Tyrod Taylor yesterday, you know, what do you think of, the talent that you have around you. I mean, what do you think of this supporting cast? And he was raving about some of it. And I, I think that's really sincere and genuine. I think he's looking out there and thinking to himself, wow, I've really got some things to work with here this season. And I think he's really, really excited about what's around him. Yeah. Well, and, and he never had a ton of weapons in Buffalo outside of, uh, outside of Shady McCoy. They kind of were, you know, they, they get a pretty good tight end you know, a couple of good tight ends come through there, but um, never really had the weapons at receiver that he has the potential to have this year. Yeah, no, no question about it. And, you know, when you think about it, there will be some 
recent draft picks that are going to be very challenged to make the team. I mean, Ricardo Lewis, uh, you know, he, he's going to have to really step it up if he's going to make this team. They've upgraded this receiving core considerably. And, uh, you know, there just will be some guys that are not going to make it. All right, Mary Kay, so let's get to some uh, some quick stories that I've kind of come across today, scrolling through Twitter and, and places like that. And let's start here. Let's start with Duke Johnson uh, and his contract situation as he's headed for free agency. Before we get into it, though, uh, here's what Duke Johnson had to say on Wednesday about his contract situation. Yeah, I'm very optimistic, yes. Um, I believe that uh, not only the staff, but the, the front office wants me here. Uh, it's just about both sides coming to agreement. Okay, Mary Kay, so that is Duke Johnson. He says he's optimistic that a deal can get done. Uh, I think it's pretty important that the Browns get something done. Is, is there any? Is it too early to be concerned that nothing has gotten done at this point, or is there still plenty of time for these two sides to come together? Well, I think there's still plenty of time uh, for them to come together, but the closer that you get to a season, uh, a lot of times it, it doesn't happen, so hopefully it will. I think that you know, this is the kind of player that you want to keep around. He wants to be here. When you've got a guy like this that has that work ethic and that kind of talent uh, and that wants to be a Cleveland Brown and you drafted him, I think these are the kinds of guys that you want to keep around for their second contract. So uh, if I were the Browns, I would do whatever it takes to get Duke Johnson under contract. Uh, We've talked to him so many times about, uh, you know, the fact that even though he has experienced nothing but losing, he wants to be here for the good times, and that's the kind of attitude they need on this team. Yeah, and he's a guy that can make a ton of pl- – do so many different things. <laughs> you know, they, they had him in the slot a lot last year, and I think he complements the two backs that they brought in in this offseason. Um, I, I think he's a guy that belongs in Cleveland, uh, really likes being here. Uh, he, he's, he's kind of an interesting guy, too. You, you know, he's sort of a <laughs> – He's he's kind of a funny guy to talk to, and, and he's got a little bit of a personality on social media. I, I know fans love him. Uh, ho- hopefully they can get something done. Yeah, look, here's here's hoping that they do because, you know, it's just that has to end where you let your good players walk out the door. Uh, it has to be now where they want to stay here and that the Browns make every effort to keep them. Okay, our next story is an old quarterback friend, Johnny Manziel. He was on the Dan Patrick Show, and this is what he had to say when he was asked what advice he would give to Baker Mayfield. I feel like Baker's in a, in a better situation having a having a, a vet quarterback in there. Uh, and Tyrod, there's not pressure on him to come in and start day one, and I think he's going to go into it and – you know, he's going to learn from the vets. You know, it hurts when you don't have a guy like Joe Thomas, you know, on the O-line because once I started to get to know Joe and started to pick his brain, I really started to learn a lot of stuff. You know, that guy is, is a legend. But, you know, he's got good people around him. He's got a great group of receivers. And, and, and trusting those guys that they have around him, that would be my advice to him. But, you know, Baker's got the fire. Baker's got the spark. And, you know, I think he'll do all right. But, but don't let the pressure of everything else that goes on, um, you know, get to you that would be my one advice just go out and and make football the main thing and go out and play like he's done for the last five years okay so that was johnny on the dan patrick show that airs on the audience network direct tv channel 239 monday through fridays 9 a.m to noon uh mary Kay, johnny's advice very interesting Uh, i think a lot of people construed it as a shot at brian hoyer Uh, I, i think kind of an unfair shot at brian hoyer but if 
is that kind of what it sounded like to you or am I reading this wrong? No, I, I think that um, I think you're on the right track there. And I think part of that uh, maybe comes from the fact that Brian was very outspoken at the Super Bowl. And I should put a link to that in my story because I didn't even really uh, get too much into that when I when I wrote this story about Johnny Manziel giving this advice to Baker Mayfield. But uh, Brian Hoyer was very, very outspoken about how it was such a circus and uh, the impact that that had on him and how he felt uh, that the front office handled it. And and I'm sure that that did not sit well with Johnny. So it's coming to light now that there was really no love lost between those two guys. And, you know, Johnny has taken other shots like that. He'll say, you know, I really, you know, saw the light once Josh McCown showed up. It was night and day. I mean, you've seen those quotes. So, um, so yeah, I think this was another way of him saying, you know, I just didn't have that sort of mentorship I needed as a rookie. But, I, you know, I just have to call foul on that. I really do because um, Brian came up for under Tom Brady. And that's the way Tom Brady handled things. He asks you to follow his example. He's not going to sit down with you every day and hold your hand the way a Josh McCown would um, because he's in the middle of trying to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback. So, uh, you know, I think that Johnny just needs to be accountable for his own actions as a rookie and the whole time that he was here and not in any way, shape or form, put any of that off on anyone else. You know, and, and I, I think, too, in, in the case of Hoyer, I mean, what's he supposed to do when, when a guy walks into that building and, and just assumes that he can win that job and doesn't put in any of the effort needed to win that job, doesn't put in any of the effort during the season and really when he does get his opportunity, he torpedoes it and torpedoes this team's playoff opportunity back in 2014. Uh, I mean, that Cincinnati game was a disaster. I just, it's hard for me to, to hold a grudge against Brian Hoyer if he wasn't the best mentor to Johnny Manziel because you, you've got to want to be mentored a little bit too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, you know, I would have to think that if a, a player came in and showed and made every single effort to try to do whatever it takes to be great, uh, I would think that anybody would be more than willing to put in the time and effort to help that player. But, I mean, we remember back to, remember when we made a big deal over Memorial Day weekend when he bolted and took off for Vegas and, uh, you know, he's just totally already into all his partying ways and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we took heat for that, but it was pretty obvious that he was not taking this seriously at that time. And now he's saying, well, you can't do that stuff. You can't, you know, you've got to stay and do everything that you can uh, to learn all the stuff that you don't know, which is basically everything as a rookie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and Josh McCown too was dealing with a very different Johnny Manziel as well. I, I think there's a, a contrast there. It's not like he was dealing with the Johnny Manziel of his rookie year. He was not quite where he needed to be, but, but I think he was in a better place and, and he was more ready to kind of put in the effort to actually be a starting quarterback. Yeah, and of course, um, Josh McCown was at a different point in his career, yeah. too, where, you know, Brian knew it was kind of, you know, this amazing opportunity to be a starting quarterback, especially for his hometown team. And, you know, he could see it going up in smoke. He could see the writing on the wall. He could see the way uh, the front office felt about, you know, what they wanted Johnny to do and all that sort of thing. So it was just a, it was just a, a bad combination of everything all coming together at once. Okay, real quickly here, we're going to talk about the NFL draft. Uh, Cleveland and Canton missed out on their bid. It's going to Nashville in 2019. We're going to get to Nashville a little later in the, in the, in the podcast. But um, 
2020, uh, still in the running for it. Uh, the, the Hall of Fame, it would likely be in public auditorium in Cleveland. Um, do, do you think this is going to happen? I, that would be the 100-year anniversary of the founding of, of pro football. Um, it seems like 2020 would be a perfect year for, for this area to have the draft. Yeah, and, you know, I wrote yesterday uh, that – uh, I've been told that the, that Cleveland and Canton are very competitive for 2020. And I would have to think that with the Pro Football Hall of Fame involved and the Cleveland Browns and, and everything that these two cities would have to offer, I really do think that there's a great chance that it will be here in 2020. And I think that's going to be tremendous for Cleveland and Canton. It will also coincide with um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. They are going to be having a, a week-long NFL centennial celebration in September of that year. So it will just be, you know, an amazing time uh, to, to be around pro football in, in Northeast Ohio. And yes, I, I really actually do think that they will get it in 2020. Okay, Mary Kay, let's move uh, away from football here momentarily. Uh, let's, let's get off topic. We, we talked Eastern Conference Finals last week. Um, but I got I to gotta ask you about something. Um, you, you brought this up at the Browns golf outing the other day. You do not allow your husband to have a hammock? <laughs> oh, we are going there, aren't we, Dan? We are. We, we are going there. Okay. Um, yes, let me explain that, Dan, so no one thinks I'm a mean and horrible wife. <laughs> the reason why I do not allow, or to this point, I mean, there's still a Father's Day coming up, but the reason I have not allowed him to have a hammock up to this point is because he gets a lot of golf in on Saturdays and Sundays, and then the last thing I would need after that is for the post-golf nap to happen for the next five hours. So to this point, I have put my foot down on the hammock, but I do allow probably more golf than any wife in America. Okay, that's fair. That's is fair. That fair? I, I, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay. All right, we're still gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this happen. We're gonna we're gonna make a hammock up here at. Uh, <laughs> Uh, because see, I, I got one last, like, I guess it was two weeks ago. We got one and oh, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But Dan, but, but do you go golfing for six hours before you get in the hammock? No, I, I do. I do run for a long time though. That, you know. Okay. Well, now you're making me feel bad. <laughs> well, that was, you know, I, I, I just felt like it was <laughs> get out there we needed to get some some feedback from people to see if 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 it was a fair a fair rule um i I guess it is though i I think i'm gonna side with you here you think so i think so well you never know like i said father's day is coming up and one just never never knows what could be coming All right. Uh, so there we go. We we got off the field. We we 
uh, talked about hammocks. Um, listen, we will we will talk about anything life uh, life oriented, life topics. Uh, you know, whatever questions you have, fire those away at us because that is that's what we talk about now on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Well, uh, <laughs> let's get to some Twitter questions here. Put out a call for some Twitter questions uh, to get to today. There weren't um, there there weren't a ton that were sent back, but uh, at K Funk Sports uh, sent me uh, this question. Basically about the coaching staff, asking what's the tenor of the coaching staff, you know, especially Todd Haley and, and Greg Williams, and, and how is it different? Obviously, Greg Williams isn't different from last year, but how, how do you think it's different from last year? Um, well, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is that Todd Haley is running the offense and Hugh Jackson is the overseer. He's running the whole show, and that, that's the major difference to me about the coaching staff. But it's a very intense coaching staff. Still, I mean, you've got Greg Williams, who's a, who's a very fiery personality, very intense. Same thing with Todd Haley. Same thing with with Hugh Jackson. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, language. There's <laughs> you know there's just um, there's a lot going on out there, and people will find that out when they come out to training camp. They'll hear it, they'll see it. Uh, you know, you still got Al Saunders running around uh, like the Energizer Bunny, and uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a very strong, strong, accomplished, experienced coaching staff uh, with an offensive and defensive coordinator who have been head coaches before. So they see things, you know, from a global perspective as well. And they also know what he's going through. So uh, I think they all bring a lot to the table. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, strong personalities. Al Saunders is just incredible to me um rookie minicamp he kind of was sitting on the side you know he's a senior offensive assistant now he's not a uh he's not officially a coach uh and then it took about you know what two minutes for him to be back out there running drills and and running all over the field and yesterday he was playing press man coverage when they were running drills this guy's incredible he really is i mean and he's such a great guy and he has such a tremendous effect on these young receivers. And of course, Adam Henry is the receivers coach now, and uh, he's very vocal and very verbal and just doing a lot of really hands-on coaching and teaching. And you could see that right away with, uh, you know, after every single rep, he's got a, a pointer for these guys. But Al Saunders is still out there, uh, like you said, running around and, and coaching and teaching himself. And, uh, you know, this is a coaching staff that has a lot of experience. And, uh, and, and I think it is a, it's a better coaching staff. Um, the, the other part of this question is, because this is always intriguing, I think, for, for people, which coaches did you see interacting with Baker, you know, the most yesterday? Because obviously, usually it's been Hugh Jackson. He's taken a little bit of a step back. He is still interacting a lot with the quarterbacks, but it seems to me like it's obviously a lot of Todd Haley and a lot of Ken Zampezi. Yeah, and yes, it definitely is. And that's, you know, in part because Hugh Jackson is now overseeing the whole thing. And I still think he's going to job a lot of one-on-one time with Baker Mayfield. But it's not like it was last year. Remember when you would see Deshaun Kaiser and Hugh Jackson completely 100% joined at the hip. Now, Hugh Jackson has a history with Ken Zampezi, and he trusts him implicitly with his quarterbacks. And, you know, whatever Ken says, those guys would be in lockstep on that. So he doesn't have to be there every single second. And it gives Hugh Jackson an opportunity to, 
you know, to really get the big picture and to make sure that the whole operation is running smoothly. All right. So that was our, uh, our one Twitter question today, unfortunately. We've got to do a little better job of giving people some lead time uh, to send us questions. But if you have anything, you know, certainly tweet at us anytime. Um, and, and honestly, if you want to, even if it's easier for you to head down into, uh, you know, leave us a review, a good review, please, and, and stick some questions in there. I can certainly check in there here before we go on. So, uh, you know, we want to, we want to hear what you guys um, want to know because we, we get to watch these practices and uh, you know, we've got a chance to maybe tell you guys about what we're seeing. And, and if there's things that we know you want us to, to watch for, we can certainly keep an eye out for that. Well, Dan, wait a minute. We didn't get a chance to talk about the marathon yet. You ran a marathon on Sunday. How did that go? That's true. It, uh, it went okay. Um, I was, so I was on pace for a, a sub, a sub four hour for about 20 miles or 21 miles. And then things just sort of collapsed. I don't want to say collapsed. I did finish. Uh, but, but things kind of fell apart. You, you know, my, my legs tightened up a little bit. I got a little tired, but now I got across the finish line 419. So, uh, that, that's actually the best time I've done in the three that I've run. Wow, congratulations. You you know, you earned some time in the hammock, I think. I I did. I absolutely did. Uh, And I took advantage advantage of that, for sure, uh, on Monday after the golf outing, especially because I learned that I need to be very grateful for actually having, being allowed to have one. (laughs) Who knew? I'm going to get hammered for this, I have a feeling. (laughs) Well, again, like I said, I think I might have your back on this. Um, all right. <laughs> Before we go here, last thing I wanted to get into, because um, I, I was at a, uh, a graduation party on Sunday, and I was t- we were talking about uh, road trips, and I, I was talking about some of the places we're going this year uh, to cover the Browns. And the two that uh, are kind of the most exciting are probably, well, at least for me, New Orleans. And then even though it's in December, I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe going to going to Denver as well. Um, and then we've got Oakland, which of course would include San Francisco. So I wanted to real quick, um, I mean, I haven't been to every NFL city yet, but I wanted to know what your favorite road trip destination is. Let's see. My favorite road trip destination is London. Oh, good one. <laughs> good one. It was amazing. Oh, my goodness. I had a wonderful time. And, you know, I have to say, I never take for granted the job that we do. We get to go cover football. We get to stand out and we watch practice. We get to go places like London and New Orleans and New York. And I can't tell you that I'm always grateful uh, to be able to do this and, you know, to work, to try it. We work really hard to try to bring uh, good information to everyone. And and I will say that. you know, it really is a very cool, cool job. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of those moments where you realize, hey, you know what, this isn't so bad. Uh, mine is not as glamorous as London, but uh, the, the trip I always love is actually this, a city we talked about earlier. I always kind of love Nashville. It's a really fun place to be on a Saturday night uh, when you go to Broadway Street and you've got, you know, two bars and then a cowboy hat store and then two more bars and then a cowboy boot store. And it's always just packed sidewalk to sidewalk. Uh, sometimes the street is closed. Um, it, it's a really, there's neon everywhere. It's a, it, it's a really fun place to visit. Yeah, it really is. And, um, 
you know, why don't we go there? We just see tons and tons of Browns fans everywhere. That happens a lot, actually, yeah. uh, which is great. I'm glad that uh, there's still so many Browns fans out there. Dan, have you, I forget, have you been to New Orleans yet? This is going to be my first, uh, my, actually, this is going to be my first trip to New Orleans. Not just oh, wow. Well, you're going to uh, love New Orleans. So, yeah, this is, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, you're going to love New Orleans, and I think that's, uh, that's going to move up very, very high on your list. Yeah, well, and it, as far as the AFC North goes, you know, Baltimore is one that I always rave about. Uh, but we're going there in December this year. So, you know, I'm not going to complain about a free trip to Baltimore, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, we always have fun in whatever AFC North cities we go to. Actually, we have fun in whatever city we go to. Um, but, you know, there's always fun to be had in Cincinnati. Uh, Baltimore is great. And um, and even Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a lot of fun. Yeah, Pittsburgh's usually quick in and out. We don't usually get to spend too much time there. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, true. That, that's a city I've always liked. Okay, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Like I said, head down and leave a review for us. We love those five-star reviews. Leave any questions, comments in there as well. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes uh, or the Apple Podcast Store and Google Play. And uh, we'll have to do this again next week. We'll see you then.